You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, so we are continuing in our series of uh, What's the Point? Uh, taking uh, um, uh, one mitzvah at a time uh, in the Jewish tradition and uh, trying to uh, identify what may be the reason that we uh, are, are commanded this particular thing. Uh, we've been trying to focus on um, uh, practical uh, elements of uh, Jewish law, things that uh, we still do today. Um, but uh, we've also been following the trajectory of the weekly uh, tour portion just because uh, it makes things uh, um, neater and simpler, uh, and have been using a book called Sefer Achinuch, the book of uh, education, um, a, uh, um, a book written in Barcelona in the 13th century anonymously um, that, uh, that seeks to uh, consolidate uh, um, all laws and uh, um, uh, particulars about every commandment in the Torah, all 613 commandments, and offer an explanation for each of those uh, commandments. So that's what the Sefer Chinuch does, and so we've been using that as our jumping off point for conversations. Uh, uh, this week's Torah portion, Balak, uh, which is a fascinating Torah portion, has no mitzvot in it, has no commandments in it. Uh, but last week's Torah portion not only has some commandments in it, but has one of the most uh, uh, mysterious and opaque commandments in the in the Torah, uh, and uh, and I was going to talk about this last week when it was uh, last week's Torah portion, but I got uh, sick and had to cancel last week's class, so we're talk- we'll talk about it today. It's not a uh, a matter of practical law anymore, uh, but knowing what uh, what values it was trying to communicate uh, might help us uh, um, understand. Um, uh, not only about the Torah itself, but might also be inspiring for, uh, uh, offer us inspiration for how we might live our lives today, even though we don't observe the commandment. Okay, so the commandment is uh, known as the para aduma, the red heifer. Okay, and so here's a little bit of background, just uh, just just as a refresher. This is the beginning of last week's Torah portion, Chukat, uh, and basically the uh, the idea was if you became impure by coming in contact with a corpse. Um, okay, so uh, uh, impurity, impurity were the categories by which you knew whether or not you were able to uh, to participate in temple worship. If you were in a state of ritual purity, you could bring sacrifices, you could enter sacred property, uh, you could touch holy things. Um, if you were impure, you could not until you uh, did something uh, to uh, to to purify yourself. And for various kinds of uh, impurities. Uh, there were various uh, um, uh, methods of, uh, of of recovering from those uh, from, from those conditions. Okay, so um, the impurity by contact with the corpse was the most significant kind of impurity, um, uh, and was therefore the most uh, uh, the, was the most difficult to recover from. Uh, the procedure for recovering from it is the longest and most severe uh, um, uh, form of impurity. Um, uh, so the reason for that is also opaque, right? So that's part of the mystery of the red heifer is why is um, that kind of... First of all, the, the whole notion of purity and purity is, 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 is difficult uh, to begin with. We're not ever explained in the Torah what it means to be ritually pure or ritually impure, other than you either are or you aren't. Um, so that's a mystery in and of itself. Why um, uh, coming in contact 
with a uh, with a corpse is uh, the the most difficult, the most stringent form of impurity is uh, um, is is a challenge in and of itself. Uh, uh, and uh, um, it, it's also, by the way, um, uh, a contagious form of impurity. Um, some forms of impurity are, and some forms are not. Uh, coming in contact with the corpse was contagious. So if I uh, if I came in contact with the corpse and I became impure, therefore, um, and I you know shook Charlotte's hand right afterwards, she would also become impure uh, in the same uh, level of, of impurity. Which is one of the reasons uh, uh, why um, all of us today are considered to be in this category of impurity. Um, uh, which means that uh, none of us, if we were to, tomorrow the Messiah were to come and they were to rebuild the temple, none of us would be able to participate in the, in, in the worship in the temple unless we were to undergo the ritual of the uh, red heifer. Okay, so that's a, um, um, you know, worth consideration, I suppose, in case the Messiah were to come tomorrow. Um, where do we find one? Where, so, that's a, so that's a good question. Okay, so we'll, we'll get into some of the particulars of the law. Um, it, it may not be as hard as you think, although there, there are some people who think that they found what, uh, um, uh, what's, um, uh, what they're looking for. Uh, but in any event, so so that's the uh, um, that's the severity of this kind of uh, impurity. It's also uh, a tie into the practicality of it today, in the sense that we all um, are considered to be in this category of impurity. Okay, and so here's the ritual for uh, for purifying yourself um, after uh, um, coming in contact with the corpse is uh, 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 the um, supposed to take a perfectly red cow. Okay, it might actually be brown, might have been what it was talking about. So the Eitzchayim says that it's talking about a, a brown cow, not a red cow, uh, which may explain the expression, how now brown cow. Uh, but, uh, um, oh, very good. Uh, but, uh, but in any event, it's usually been understood as actually being a red, uh, a, a red cow. Um, it needs to be a, 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 a blemishless red cow, which uh, um, the commentators have understood to mean it can't have more than one or two uh, white hairs on it, or non-red hairs on it. So it has to be completely thoroughly red uh, uh, cow, maybe very hard to uh, find. Um, you, know, uh, you might find a red cow, but then a bunch of bottles of Clairol next to it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you need to find a perfectly red heifer. Um, it's got to be taken outside uh, the camp and slaughtered. Um, its blood has to be uh, uh, sprinkled uh, toward the tent of meeting, so in, in the direction of the back of the camp. Uh, but the, the cow uh, it has to be completely burned, uh, totally, right after it's, after it's slaughtered. Um, everything, skin, bones, blood, everything is totally burned up. Um, uh, and uh, um, and in the fire, it's uh, we're supposed to throw um, uh, hyssop and uh, cedar wood and some crimson uh, like thread, um, and uh, they're supposed to be thrown in the fire with the cow for reasons that are again unexplained. Uh, that's all burned together, um, and the ashes of that are kind of kept on the side out, outside the camp um, that are to be used. Whenever there's a person who needs to be uh, purified from uh, um, from this kind of impurity, and what you do is you take those ashes and you take uh, some uh, fresh water, um, and uh, and on the third day following impurity and the seventh day following impurity, um, that uh, um, that water with the ashes is uh, taken with uh, hyssop and is uh, sprinkled on the person. 
who uh, has come in contact with the with the corpse um, and uh, and then ultimately becomes purified. To uh, so uh, again, lots of why a red heifer? I don't know. Why a perfectly red heifer? I don't know. Why does it all have to be burned uh, with 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 cedar wood and, and hyssop? I don't know. Um, how does it work to affect uh, ritual purity? I don't know. Two other mysteries of it is the person who burns the cow um, in the first place uh, becomes impure by virtue of bur- burning the cow and has to purify themselves. Not, a di- not the same degree of impurity as, a, as coming in contact with the human corpse, but still impurity. And the person later on who uh, does the sprinkling of the water on uh, the uh, person who's, uh, who's, who's trying to become pure also becomes impure by virtue of doing the sprinkling. Um, so there's a uh, um, so the the act of purification makes the person impure. Why we don't know. Yeah, uh, um, I'm sure it's obvious to most people. I'm a little behind the hyssop again. Is uh, some kind spice. of uh, spice, spice plant? Yeah. I have some in my mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never seen it in actual plant form. Um, I've only seen it in like ground up yeah, form. That you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How extensive is the sprinkling? Uh, it, so it, do, it, it, it doesn't say in the Torah exactly. I, I, um, I, I don't think it's. Uh, um, uh, I, I don't think it's very extensive. I think that uh, um, it just needs to be kind of, uh, you know, like the priest does with his sprinkling. Yeah, just needs to get uh, sort of uh, weighed and probably. Yeah. Uh, it does. You know, usually it says you need to you need to sprinkle it seven times, and it doesn't say that here. So my guess is that you could just you know flick it on the person, and, and that would work. Um, a little a little spritz, a little spritz. Is there ever any evidence that this action was carried out? It's <laughs> uh, a good question. Um, <coughs> I, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, I haven't looked up the archaeological evidence. My guess is that uh, some version of this probably was carried out at some point because um, they took these matters of purity and impurity very seriously um, when it came to temple worship. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, coming in contact with a corpse in the manner that they, that they considered it um, probably happened not too infrequently. People used to die at home. Right and, uh, and and so if you were at, at home taking care of a loved one who was uh, about to to pass away, um, you would become impure. And then if you ever wanted to uh, uh, worship in the temple again, um, then you needed to, uh, to to have some manner, some way of uh, purifying yourself. Um, and it's even more than that. The Torah says uh, that if anybody who becomes impure, this is chapter 19, verse 20, if anyone who has become impure fails to purify himself, that person shall be cut off from the congregation, for he has defiled the Lord's sanctuary. Okay, so um, uh, it, it, people treated this very seriously, I think. So uh, I, I, they may not have uh, believed, the, they may not have had the, the same kind of uh, uh, perspective on what constituted a, per, a perfect red cow that later tradition Saw you viewed it as um, you know. So the later tradition had this whole thing. It had to be red with n- not even one white hair or whatever. My 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 guess is that that's probably not how they practiced it, um, and that's why it maybe made more sense the way uh, it's time uh, interprets it about it being a brown cow um, because it's probably a more common thing. But in any event, does um, this have anything to do with the water that uh, poured if you go to the cemetery? Or is that just, uh, 
Uh, no, it, so it it it, uh, it it emerges from the same um, from the same kind of category of uh, of considerations, right? After going to the cemetery, you're considered uh, it, you know the, the same kind of impurity, um, and uh, and so you should uh, um, uh, do something to uh, to to purify yourself in some way. Um, it doesn't really it doesn't it's it's that ritual I think is is uh, is primarily I mean it's it's tradition but I think it's it's psychological right it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a liminal marker of, of exiting that space um, and a lot of these traditions I think are, are psychological in nature um, uh, so that's one way of interpreting the red heifer by the way which is not a bad way of interpreting it uh, but uh, but but anyway it comes from the same um, impulse the same kind of yeah category what happens to funeral directors yeah constantly yeah yeah so they have to be cut off. They so I, I don't know if that position existed in the ancient world. Um, I think that people uh, uh, buried their own dead. Um, uh, I think that the, the the funeral directors is probably a more uh, a modern um, um, invention where we we've become uh, much more um, much more removed from death and therefore much more afraid of death than um, than uh, people in the ancient world were. It was much more, more regular part of life. Um, Can I ask a question? Yeah. Did you say that the act of purification creates impurification? Yes. So how do you break the cycle? You don't. <clears throat> you don't. Uh, I mean, you, you break... That's not exactly true. Uh, the, the, the kind of impurity that you get from uh, sprinkling the waters is not the same level of impurity um, uh, that requires that kind of sprinkling in the first place. So that person becomes pure through uh, normal channels. They, they go to the mikvah or whatever it is. Um, so that, that actually breaks the cycle. Um, but that could be his job, quote-unquote. His could be. funeral part. Could be. There could, be, there, there could have been uh, a person who was, uh, who was designated um, that, that, was their, that that was their function. It's a kind of disinfection. Say, say more. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, it was a way of treating death at that time, and people were smart enough to know that you don't let a dead person hang around something. There's illness there. Yeah. So it's a way of cleaning yourself. I'm cleaning uh, everyone that touches that dead person. So you, so so that you have a uh, a, a, a medical, a practical well, uh, um, a a interpretation. Here, okay, so I that's fair. Um, that, that's a that's a reasonable <laughs> approach, right? They were they you know, the, uh, 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 and you're not the first to offer that approach, right? That this is a primarily hygienic concern, or as close to a hygienic concern as they had in the ancient world. Um, they knew that uh, it was dangerous. Excuse me, to be around corpses. Um, so this is a way of making sure that everything that came in, you know, within two degrees of contacting the corpse uh, would, uh, uh, would would come in contact with, with water um, and, and, and be washed, right? Clothes were washed and um, uh, could be. It doesn't exactly explain why you have to burn a cow and mix the ashes in the, in the water unless it, for, unless it was some kind of ancient, you know, astringent or something like that that we don't really know. It could have been. It could very well be. Um, I mean, I've always understood it. it. Similar thought. I know we're not even getting into this, but if you look at what Egyptian death practices were, that an awful lot of the Torah is tries to be 180 degrees the opposite. Yeah. And this certainly, while it may not make any sense, is certainly 180 degrees the opposite of what went on in Egypt. Well, that's that's certainly true, right? The Egypt spent a lot of the Egyptians spent would spend a lot of time with the corpse. 
Um, you know, right, exactly. Right. And it so was considered, this, you certainly didn't have impurity from being around a corpse there. Right. Um, and so this is saying, you know, the, that uh, a way of distancing from death. Right, um, the, the 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 impurity is so severe, and the process for becoming pure is so extreme, um, and 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 rare and difficult. Um, in order to say you should stay far away from death, whether that means physically, right? Uh, um, you know, uh, uh, going back to Charlotte's point of view, um, you know, it's 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 dangerous, so you could get disease, or or emotionally, spiritually, right? That uh, that that. Uh, um, that the, the Jewish value is that uh, this world and life is for the living, that we should focus on the here and now, that we should uh, um, uh, not be overly concerned with matters of, uh, of, of, uh, of death in the afterlife, um, and uh, we shouldn't uh, have you know, sort of death veneration and death cults. Uh, um, uh, and so this is saying you know, that having an extreme ritual makes a taboo around death. Right, um, I, I think that, that that's uh, that's 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 very wise, and and you could be, be very uh, uh, right about that. Let's see yeah, what the but the cover kadisha adds that quality right. of trying to make the the humanness of, of the corpse for the for the they do it in their stead. Right for the the human being. Right, and you know, but it's interesting the cover kadisha. Um, uh, um, the the way we the way we treat the corpse and the way we bury the corpse um, uh, uh, tries to uh, not um, um, supernaturalize the the act of death, right? Uh, yeah. So we we sort of strip the corpse instead of the, what the Egyptians would do would be build up and build around the corpse, um, and, you know, uh, mummify, put it in nice clothes, put stuff in the thing. The Chaver Kadisha washes, right? Uh, basically, you know, takes off makeup and things like that, right? Um, puts on shrouds. Right, and then and then puts it in as plain a uh, a, a, a casket as, as possible. Um, in order to say right, this is um, um uh, this is a this this is or was a uh, a human being ultimately returning to earth. Right, really in in some ways saying nothing, making no assumptions about what's going to happen uh, in in the next life. Um, um, only dealing with. The, in some senses, the really the physical decomposition of the body and, and enabling the physical decomposition of the, the body. Soul is gone by then. Well, that's fine, but the but the Chaver Kadisha isn't really um, concerning themselves with <coughs> no. that, right? Um, um, uh, so, uh, except for a matter of uh, of accompaniment, right? So, so there's an idea of uh, you know levaya, right? So, uh, and and you have shomrim and things like that. Um, uh, so. Um, um, but anyway, but it, but I think that uh, that that the way the Chaver Kadisha is, is set up is is meant to be you know in very much the opposite of a of of a, of a veneration of the of the deceased, right? Uh, I mean, it's meant body. to honor the body. Of the body, it's meant to honor. It's meant to to, to, to yes. give sanctity exactly. to the moment, but it's not meant to uh, to um, exalt, yes. right? Um, but find the holiness in yeah. in the body, right? Um, okay, so let's let's just uh, very briefly let's look at what the Severach uh, Chinuch uh, says uh, here, and just uh, in the interest of time, we'll look in the English. So I'm on one fifty nine, um, and, and you can see the difficulty that uh, that a lot of the um, uh, ancient and medieval commentators had with this command. Okay, so my heart emboldened me to write hints of the reasons for the preceding mitzvot from the aspect of the plain meaning 
with the explanation that the task was to educate thereby my son and the lads who are his friends. So the whole point of the Sefer Chinuch ostensibly is to um, educate his uh, son or their children. Um, At this precept, my hands grow feeble. And I fear to open my mouth about it at all, even with the plain meaning. I have no, basically, I have no idea what the what this mitzvah, the red heifer, is uh, is trying to accomplish or is, is means or is trying to do. For I saw that our sages of blessed memory spoke at length of the profundity of its mystery and the greatness of its theme, until they said that King Solomon attained knowledge and the immensity of his wisdom of all the reasons of the Torah. Except this, for he declared about it, I said, I will get wisdom, but it is far from me. In other words, not only do I not have any idea what this is, but no one has any idea what this is. Um, Even King Solomon, the wisest of all the uh, biblical figures, has no idea what this is. and this is the trajectory of the of the tradition. Most people, they, you know, some people try to give explanations, but a lot just say you know, this is a the quintessential chok, uh, a, uh, a a a reasonless commandment. Um, and so there are some people who say it, it has a reason, but it's just obscured from human understanding. And there are some people who say it actually has no reason. Uh, the reason is uh, to train obedience to God's commandments. Right, and so you are uh, uh, you learn obedience to the commandments by following those things that you actually have no idea what the what the purpose is. Uh, right, I have no idea um, why I have to put the cap of uh, the toothpaste back on every day because it's a waste of time. And it, um, but uh, but nevertheless, I do it as an act of obedience. Right, so that's the uh, um, that's the, uh, um, uh, the the classic <coughs> understanding. You do it to train obedience to God. Moreover, it was related in the Midrash of Rabbi Tanchuma, Rabbi Yossi Barchanina said, The Holy One, blessed be He, told Moses, To you I will reveal the reason for the heifer, but not to others. Right? In other words, there is a reason, according to that view, uh, but only Moses knows it. It's obscured from every other person's understanding. And there are so many other passages like these. Excuse me. Um, now, let not any listener think that the problem of its mystery and the order of its statute is because it brings ritual purification when its ash touches the body of a person becoming ritually clean. In other words, he's going to try to give a little bit of an explanation. He's saying it's not magic. And what's happening here is that uh, there's, no, there's no magic that happens when the ashes touch the body of the, of the uh, impure person. For you see, one can find something like this with other offerings. In regard to a man with a discharge and a woman who gave birth, the completion of their purification is by offerings. In other words, there's nothing special about the red heifer in in regard to the uh, in regard to the ashes. Um, it's a, it's a it's a it's a marker of the moment, like it is of uh, other sacrifices, right? Uh, so you get purifi- so you get purification from the from from whatever transgression you may have committed um, that led up to the impurity, or while you were impure. Um, it's a marker of the moment of becoming pure, but there's no but there's no uh, um, it doesn't like it's not a magic potion. Um, that uh, that changes you in some way. It's not alchemy. Um, uh, rather, the main wonder, according to what I heard, okay, this is what he says. The real uh, um, it, essence of the of the command is, and and what's 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 really going on here. The main wonder, according to what I heard, is that it would purify the defiled, but would defile the person engaged in its burning. So he says the main thing to focus on here is uh, is this. This doesn't have been, happen with any other issue in the Torah that uh, that that the uh, person who helps the person become pure himself becomes impure. Even though with all the chatat sin offerings that were burned of bullocks and goats, 
Such was the law, that for the one who burned them, his clothing became ritually unclean at the time they were burned until they turned to ash. Their ash, however, did not bring <coughs> ritual purification. Okay, so there are other sacrifices that uh, um, there are other sacrifices that uh, made the clothes of the person performing the sacrifice impure, but those sacrifices themselves did not bring purification. Right? In other words, uh, there's something intrinsic about the ashes of the cow that both make some things pure and make some things impure. That doesn't happen with other sacrifices. Okay, so that's the, that's the essence, according to Sefer Echlinuch, of the mystery of the red heifer. That you have a ritual item that, uh, that makes some things pure and some things impure. The wonder about it is, also, is great also in that it was carried out beyond the camp, not in the way of other offerings. So why did the sacrifice have to happen outside the camp? And on this matter, the nations of the world would plague the Israelites, thinking that it was sacrificed to satyrs in the open field, as their own practice was. So they, so uh, there's there's all these stories about uh, people challenging the rabbis in the in the Talmud about this uh, about this law, saying that uh, you must be conducting magic or or, or pagan sacrifice. This is no different than paganism, uh, and the rabbis had to deal with this. So why did it happen outside the camp? Okay, now he's going to attempt to answer. Yet indeed. How many medicines there are in the leaves of the earth and the trees, full of rare and contrary powers. They can cool the hot and heat the cold. If we but knew the nature of the human spirit, its root origin, its illness and its health, we might perhaps understand that it was the rare, wondrous characteristic of the heifer likewise to sicken the spirit and defile it during the task of burning it, yet after it turned to ash, it could cure the illness of ritual uncleanness. So what the red heifer is trying to do is point out a, uh, a secret of the human soul. Uh, that, uh, that there is this particular medicine, right? so understanding the, the way this medicine works of the ash, that it could um, uh, sicken some souls, but heal others, will give us a, uh, an insight into the nature of the human soul. That's, uh, that's what, the, that's what uh, Sefer Echinach is saying. This is not a clarification to provide any comprehension, whatever the matter. This doesn't help us, really, any. It's only the love of holiness and the eagerness to achieve a knowledge of the hidden that moves the quill to right. In other words, it's still a mystery. We don't know what it is, but what it's hinting at is that there's some... It's, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, teaching us some insight into the nature of the human soul, that there is uh, some spiritual quality of the ashes of this red heifer. So he does have a, uh, um, a, 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 a I guess you might call it a, um, uh, a supernatural uh, or super comma natural exclamation point uh, um, explanation of of the red heifer, it's not a matter of, uh, of, of uh, hygiene. Um, and he doesn't even go in the direction of it's meant to separate us from, from death. What he's saying is that, um, that, uh, that, that, that coming in contact with a corpse um, uh, um, does something intrinsically to our spirit. And there's something inherent about the ashes of this cow uh, that uh, that that heal that quality in our spirit that is uh, that is affected by or infected by uh, coming in contact with a corpse, and that's why it works the opposite direction for somebody who hasn't come into contact with the corpse because they don't have that 
quality in their spirit, right? So it's, you know, um, it's stem, it's, cell. it, stem cells, right? Or, or, uh, or some kind of, uh, you know, uh, if you take uh, um, Adderall, but you don't have ADD, right? Then it'll, it'll act like speed, right? Um, it means you can hit better. <laughs> it means you can hit better. So uh, I just want to offer one other thing about this whole issue of, uh, of uh, um, uh, impuring in purifying the pure and uh, purifying the impure. So uh, Rabbi uh, Joseph Soloveitchik uh, talks about this, and he says um, there are two kinds of cleansing acts in the Torah. Um, uh, haza'ah and tevilah. Uh, so haza'ah is sprinkling, tevilah is immersion. And they're strikingly dissimilar in the manner of their performance, and one may derive lessons from each. Tevilah requires that the defiled enter the water entirely of his own initiative, bowing his head, bending his knees, and submerging in a sea, river, lake, or any other mikvah. He then emerges a tahor, cleansed. Only he can do it. If he is lazy or fearful of water, his status cannot be changed. The defiled must perform the act himself. It cannot be done for him. He defiled himself, and he must cleanse himself. Tevila, therefore, implies a capacity to change, change one's own condition. It's suggested of all forms of human initiative, creativity, and freedom, the ability of man to transform his own life, to raise himself because he has free will. Man can remain defiled if he so wishes, and be reconciled to the restrictions it imposes simply by not going to the mikvah. Or if cleansing is desired, he must muster the initiative to pull himself up. It is all up to him. Haza'ah, which is what happens with the red heifer, also involves water, but the situation is different. The Tame cannot sprinkle it on himself. It must always be, and a clean person shall sprinkle it on the unclean person. He cannot liberate himself. He is dependent upon others. Only a Tahor can help him. His is a condition of dependency, and his own initiative is not enough. Both Tevila and Haza'ah remove defilement and render one eligible to participate in the holiness of the temple. In the former, it is self-liberation. In the latter, he must depend on others. And so I think, based on what the Seperachinuk is saying and what Rabbi Soloveitchik offers, um, I, I, I want to suggest that one of the issues of the Red Heifer is that it teaches mutual dependency and interdependency. And in this particular moment of life and death, it's a, it's a critical thing to learn, right? That, uh, that the essence of being alive is to know that we rely on others, right? And that's true for the person who is impure now because of death, that they, um, that they have to be sprinkled upon in order to become pure. And it also has to be true for the person doing the sprinkling, that they know that they aren't a, uh, uh, that they aren't a, a, a magical savior, Right, that they also are dependent and reliant on, on others for their own purification. Right, and that to be alive is to be involved in a web of interconnectivity and interdependence. And the issue of the red heifer in requiring um, uh, 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 purity on both ends of the person uh, who is impure and the person who is doing the purifying um, teaches that to be alive is to rely on independence.